You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Facebook takes down coordinated inauthenticity. A ransomware-involved death is attributed to Doppelpamer. CISA and the FBI warn of coming election disinformation. LokiBot is back in a big way. Operation Disruptor collars 170 darknet contraband merchants. Joe Kerrigan comments on that botched ransomware attack in Germany that led to a woman's death. Our guest is Matt Davey from 1Password on why single sign-on isn't a silver bullet for enterprise security. And patriotic hacktivism flares along the Blue Nile. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. Facebook has taken down a Chinese disinformation network that sought to engage public opinion in the U.S. and even more so in the Philippines. They also took down a Philippine-based network that may have some connection to the government in Manila. TechCrunch summarizes the two examples of coordinated inauthenticity as involving 155 Facebook accounts, 11 pages, 9 groups, and 7 Instagram accounts connected to the Chinese activity, and 57 accounts, 31 pages, and 20 Instagram accounts for the activity in the Philippines. Graphica calls the Chinese campaign Operation Naval Gazing, and that's N-A-V-A-L, like the Academy in Annapolis, because it has to do with navies and supporting Beijing's expansive territorial claims in the South China Sea. The campaign is noteworthy for its use of AI to generate photos for account profiles. Expect to see more of this in future inauthenticity. It's also worth noting that while the provenance of Operation Naval Gazing seems clearly to have been Chinese, the precise connection to the government in Beijing remains obscure. The Aachener Zeitung reports that investigators have identified the ransomware implicated in a woman's death in Nordrhein-Westfalen. It was Doppelpamer. The victim died when University Hospital Dusseldorf had to divert her ambulance to another facility because its own admission systems had been rendered unavailable. Newsweek observes that Doppelpamer, a fork of Evil Corpse Bitpamer ransomware, is associated with the Russian cyber underworld, and German prosecutors are accordingly looking east. Their investigation is focused on negligent homicide, and to make that case, the prosecutors will have to establish that the woman had a chance of survival had she been treated in Dusseldorf. That's not yet known. The Doppelpamer infestation is said to have affected 30 servers at the hospital 
and to have gained entrance months ago, possibly in late 2019, by exploiting a now-patched Citrix VPN vulnerability. It appears that the gang's target may have been the Heinrich Hein University itself and not the university's hospital. The ransom note was addressed to the university. The New York Times says Dusseldorf police responded to the gang's ransom note to explain that they'd hit a hospital. At that point, the attackers stopped the attack and turned over a decryption key and then stopped responding. Much about the story remains unclear. The pattern in hospitals affected by ransomware has been they've found workarounds to continue emergency services even when admin systems and medical records were down, and that they've deferred elective and non-urgent care. But so many critical systems are now networked that a comprehensive enough crash might cause so much confusion and chaos that a hospital might go on diversion, with emergency responders told to divert patients to other facilities. It may be that something along those lines went on in Dusseldorf. Presumably more information will become available as the story develops. CISA and the FBI warn that foreign disinformation can be expected to call results of U.S. elections into question. The alert's central point involved the likelihood of foreign espionage services seeking to use any delays in counting or certifying votes as an opportunity to instill doubt. The agencies warn, quote, State and local officials typically require several days to weeks to certify elections' final results in order to ensure every legally cast vote is accurately counted. The increased use of mail-in ballots due to COVID-19 protocols could leave officials with incomplete results on election night. Foreign actors and cyber criminals could exploit the time required to certify and announce elections' results by disseminating disinformation that includes reports of voter suppression, cyber attacks targeting election infrastructure, voter or ballot fraud, and other problems intended to convince the public of the election's illegitimacy. End quote. CISA has also warned of a resurgence in information-stealing Lokibot. The current surge began in July. Lokibot uses a keylogger for credential theft and for extracting other information from affected desktops. It can also be used to install a backdoor that can be used for further attacks. The malware affects Windows and Android systems. It's commonly distributed by phishing, smishing, or waterholing attacks. The U.S. Justice Department yesterday announced the success of Operation Disruptor, an international dragnet that's collared 170 darknet contraband merchants who'd been hawking their wares in such disreputable souks as Alphabay, Dream, Wall Street, Nightmare, Empire, White House, Deep Sea, and Dark Market. 119 arrests were made in the United States, with two more made in Canada on American warrants. 42 people were arrested in Germany, eight in the Netherlands, four in the United Kingdom, three in Austria, and one in Sweden. The lead law enforcement agencies were the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation and Europol, but it was a big multinational operation. The individual agencies are too numerous to mention, but they included organizations in Austria, Cyprus, Germany, Canada, Portugal, the Netherlands, Sweden, the United Kingdom, and Australia. The operation was called Disruptor, as we noted, and that is a pun, Disruptor. Tor, of course, is not necessarily or even typically nefarious, but one effect of this enforcement action is to disabuse criminals of the notion that Tor is a kind of safe haven or cloak of invisibility. 
So the Justice Department press release is not so much a word to the wise as it is a word to the wise guys. And finally, lest anyone forget that regional rivalries can be as serious as great power competition and far more hair-triggered, foreign policy reminds us that Egypt and Ethiopia are engaged in a protracted squabble over Nile water rights that's being fought so far largely in cyberspace. The foot soldiers of this conflict are largely patriotic hacktivists, so the confrontation may be closer to cyber riot than cyber war. The dispute between the two countries centers on the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which Ethiopia sees as a key development of national infrastructure and Egypt sees as a threat to its own water supply and its ancient connection to the Nile River. Cyber attacks began in late June with Egyptian hacktivists of the Cyber Horus Group taking down and defacing a number of Ethiopian government websites. Ethiopian social media influencers followed with taunting as the reservoir began filling in July. While the ongoing exchanges in cyberspace don't appear to have been government-directed, that could change. Government action may be difficult to discern. Both Cairo and Addis Ababa have shown some ability to co-opt or inspire hacktivism, and both can be expected to remain interested in achieving and maintaining plausible deniability. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire.
OnePassword recently released results of a survey looking at single sign-on and shadow IT, highlighting apps being used within an organization that fall outside of the scope of single sign-on. Matt Davey is chief experience optimist at OnePassword. The creation of a bunch of these reports always starts around kind of us trying to, to tell a story about the current situation. And I, I think what it always turns into is us finding something really interesting and new that we hadn't expected. So with this one, for example, you know, it was all around the time and how IT professionals are spending their time, especially in the kind of identity and access management area. And and what those people kind of spend their time doing, you know, how we as a password manager can help with that as well. Well, lay it out for us. So what's the reality here that uh, folks out there are dealing with? So, I mean, there were some good points and some bad points, right? So what we looked at is over the, the course of a, of a year, people actually spend a full month of, of work uh, on on tasks that are repetitive and, and mundane. You know, re- resetting passwords is a, is a huge time suck for these people. Uh, this Im- impacts kind of, you know, productivity and everything. I mean, it, it can't be a, a nice thing, really. And uh, it also looked at things like shadow IT and how working from home has kind of impacted that as well. So when it comes to resetting passwords, is that something that people are hesitant to automate because of the security implications there? I, th- I think there's a bunch of reasons why you wouldn't want to install you know, any extra thing that can go wrong in that process. I think really just having an underlying kind of solution for that. And and we believe that that's an enterprise password manager, right? Like there's one thing of telling someone to remember a password and then having to reset it every month. And then there's another thing of, you know, being able to trust that person with their own security. Well, let's go through some of the other details that you all discovered here. What were some of the interesting things that stood out to you? So as I mentioned, that there you know, are good points to this as well. You know, Prior to conducting our research, we actually feared that people would be more relaxed at home and more likely to, to slip up on, on kind of normal security behavior. But we were really pleasantly surprised to find out that you know, only 20% of workers don't follow the secu- company's security policy. Um, and we ask that kind of at, <laughs> at all times. You know, with that that 20%, you know, it doesn't come from a place of, of malice. Uh, actually, 49% of people cite productivity as their, as their top reason for circumventing IT's rules. Um, hmm. I know I have been guilty of that at, at times. And, and I'm sure a, a lot of people uh, have as well. You know, always in the kind of air of I just need it done now rather than reviewed. But... Um, yeah, I, I think we can get around that, not with, oh, I just need it now, but, you know, I understand the process and I understand how long it will take. That's Matt Davey from 1Password. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. But perhaps more important than that, he is my co-host <laughs> over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, got an interesting, uh, well, this is commentary by a friend of the show, Graham Cluley, who yep. most of you probably know from Smashing Security and uh, 
uh, his writing on uh, on cybersecurity issues. Um, he's commenting on a story that the Associated Press published. The title of his article is Hospital Patient Dies Following Botched Ransomware Attack. What's going on here, Joe? So apparently what happened is these cyber criminals targeted Heinrich Hein University. And instead of getting their ransomware into Heinrich Hein, they got their ransomware into Dusseldorf University Clinic, uh, mm. which is affiliated with Heinrich Hein University, but it is not the same thing. And as a result, 30 servers at the clinic were uh, encrypted, and the hospital began diverting patients, emergency patients, to other hospitals. And one of those patients was diverted to a hospital that was 20 miles away, and she did not survive, according to this. Hmm. Um, and that time could have could have made a difference. I absolutely, suppose. that time could have made a difference. Now, I... Funny that this is from Graham Cluley because uh, about a year ago, Graham Cluley sat in on the show for me uh, because I had a very similar event with my wife where she was taken to the hospital. And if she was not in the hospital when what happened happened, she would not have survived. Um, mm -hmm. And if she was redirected to a different hospital or if we were in an area where a hospital is not as close as one is to our house, she probably would not have survived this incident. This is um, mm -hmm. these cyber criminals have murdered this woman, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The police contacted the cyber criminals and said, your ransomware has gone into a hospital, not into a university, at which point in time the cyber criminals said, oh, here are the keys, uh, bye, and that was it. <laughs> right, right. They, they, must be, they, they must be wetting themselves. Right. Uh, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the cyber criminals know that they killed somebody, but the German mm. police are investigating the hackers on suspicion of, quote, negligent manslaughter. So uh, abs uh, unintended consequences is something that got out of hand. Yep. Uh, obviously, they didn't set out to 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 cause anyone's death, right? Uh, you know, by by direct or indirect action, but that's what happened. Absolutely. Um, I, I wonder too, Joe. I mean, how, what what are your thoughts on this? Because obviously, uh, you work at Johns Hopkins University, which Absolutely. Johns Hopkins is also a highly respected hospital. It is. Uh, so this sort of thing I could imagine happening to your home organization. Yeah, it, people try to do it every single day. We have one person who is in charge of the information security for all the organizations outside of the Applied Physics Laboratory. And that is the, the CISO of the organization. And he is responsible for security at the university and the hospital and all the different uh, schools, as well as Kennedy Krieger. So all these different organizations fall under his purview. And I think that's important to have is some kind of unified security vision that allows an organization like Hopkins to provide the kind of security and to see the, the, the movement of this kind of data around the networks. This particular case in Dusseldorf may not be as clear cut because these two organizations, the university and the hospital are affiliated, but they are not under the same organizational structure like mm. Johns Hopkins University and Johns Hopkins Hospital are. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's certainly a, a tragic uh, outcome here of, uh, I, I suppose, you know, people say with things like ransomware, oh, what's the real harm? Yeah. Uh, you know, someone gets their files locked, maybe there's financial loss, oh, people have insurance and so forth. Uh, I think this takes it to another level and points out that even, I mean, in this case, it seems accidental that the ransomware folks, they they accidentally hit the wrong target. And uh, as a result of that, directly or indirectly, uh, someone lost their life. Yeah, Graham says at the very end of this, he, he says, I'd like to think that someone might read about this case 
and think again about committing an attack. I would like to think that too. I don't know that this, this is going to have much impact on ransomware attacks. Well, and we've seen ransomware folks go directly at healthcare organizations. Absolutely. That is their target. Because, they, and it's have, because of this sort of thing, because lives are on the line. Exactly. We've seen, the, we've seen them go after a lot of smaller healthcare systems. And, and a lot of times these guys pay up because the life is more important. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, this is over on Graham Cluley's uh, website. It's titled uh, Hospital Patient Dies Following Botched Ransomware Attack. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time, keep you informed, and it's stronger than those bargain brands. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.